Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 15. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. No, do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will will not forgive your sins. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please and thank you. Please and thank you is the essence of every beginning of every prayer that you could think of to pray. Those simple words, those simple concepts. Please and thank you. When we talk to God, we're either saying, please, Lord, we need this, or thank you, God, for this, or even so much as thank you, God, for who you are, for being who you are. Now, the original concept of please and thank you as the origin for prayer comes to me from Richard Foster, who quite literally wrote the book on prayer. I mean, it's called Prayer. They had to find a subtitle, though, Finding the Heart's True Home, which is pretty good, finding ways in which prayer brings our hearts to God where they belong. But Richard Foster describes in great detail that the beginning of our prayer life is to simply say please or to simply say thank you. All of the other elaborate and advanced and eloquent prayers that we have start with that human impulse to say please and to say thank you. It starts with those simple words, but can be built into great and beautiful and eloquent things. There's another thing that comes to mind for me when I hear those words, please and thank you. I was told this week that there, there is a Barney song about please and thank you, um, but we didn't have time to put it into the set list, so we'll, we'll call it good for that one for now. There's a character in the TV show Parks and Recreation called Ron Swanson, as played by Nick Offerman. And, okay, there's some smiles, so probably one in ten people are familiar with the show. (laughs) You cannot contain your laughter. Ron Swanson is the level-headed, calm, says exactly what he's thinking, no mystery, no fun and games. He's just straightforward. Ron is many people's favorite character for that reason. He's predictable. He's consistent. Faithful would be even a good word for him. 
Maybe a bit of a stretch, Mike. Um, but when the whole crew from Parks and Rec, whenever they go out to eat, whenever they go to a restaurant, and if you've been in food services, you know what habits are annoying and what ones are more helpful. Ron, whenever he orders food, says exactly what he wants in a simple sentence and always includes the words, please and thank you. So when they go to a steakhouse, Ron's request to the server is, porterhouse, rare, please and thank you. Or when they go to their favorite breakfast diner, eggs, numerous, scrambled, please and thank you. That's all you get from Ron, is please and thank you, and a very simple request. No extra words, no special requests, no attempt to be elaborate or creative. Just straightforward, and it is what it is, please and thank you. Because Ron really loves food, as most of us do, and so when Ron asks for food, he's grateful for it, and he's polite in saying please. And he's also grateful in a way that makes him say thank you, for he appreciates the food even though it hasn't even come yet. He says thank you before his food arrives. When we consider the truth that Jesus taught us, that Jesus knows our requests before we even say them, there's a little cue we can take, even from Ron Swanson, that saying thank you before what we request has arrived is very fitting. Please and thank you. Now, there's other characters in the show, other hyper ones. One who's a, a health food nut that whenever he goes to a restaurant, he annoys everyone because he needs to order the special kind of food and has to ask tons of questions about how it's been prepared and what ingredients are in it, and the list goes on and on and on. And he bothers people. He's very polite, at least, to say thank you. And there's another character in the show who is so hyper that she can't even make up her mind. She thinks about this. Well, no, but maybe I want that instead. No, I think actually, no. Um, wait, do you have a special today? Oh, I missed that special list. Now I have to rethink my whole thing that I was thinking. There's that character on the show as well. Which prayer life would you like to model? The one that's so distracted and hyper that we can't even just take a deep breath and think about asking God what we want and say, thank you, God, for what we're appreciative of. Or the one with all kinds of special requests and, and addendums and, and even bargains with God on how, if you answer this prayer, then I'll do this. Or is it so good as to say, God, thank you for the porterhouse steak. Please send more. Could our prayer life be so simple as please and thank you? And if we're learning to pray, if we're not sure about how this whole prayer thing is supposed to work, or maybe we're teaching our children how to pray, and we're not sure exactly how to teach them to, to do it right, maybe the place to start is by saying, please and thank you. Please, God, can you do this? Thank you, God, for who you are and what you have done. These words are beautiful and simple, and they have great depth to what they can be attached to. Just like the Lord's Prayer, the words are simple, they're short, they're a very condensed version of prayer. They're beautiful and simple, and yet they have such great depth that they're attached to. Depth that we could spend an entire summer studying, and we would only cover some of it, but we'll do our best. The other reason that this works really well, curious how many of you plan to be gone, maybe for a week or a weekend during the summer, by show of hands. So now you know 
If you learn the Lord's Prayer, if you don't know it already, then any week that you are here and not traveling elsewhere, you get to just dive in on one particular piece of the Lord's Prayer. These words are beautiful and simple. And even when Jesus taught them to the disciples, he reminds them, God already knows what you need before you even ask him. Hence, the catechism reminds us that prayer is this important part of the thankfulness that God requires of us. As a child expressing gratitude to a parent for the gifts that have been given, so we come to God in prayer, voicing our concerns, voicing our thanks. But we do this to a God who already knows them. Prayer can be a tricky thing to learn. And it's nice that we have not only Jesus' example of the Lord's Prayer, but we have an entire book of prayers in the Bible. They're called the Psalms. And the Psalms also use this please and thank you essence to build their prayers. Even Psalms of lament, the deep griefs that we bring to God, even those are offered in a please God. I need you to show up in the way that reminds me that you are God. But even the laments, even when a deep grief is offered, even the laments have a thank you attached to them. Thank you, God, for being who you are. Thank you for your faithfulness. But please, show me your faithfulness again, because I need it right now. Jesus teaches us how to pray. A simple prayer, one that's easy to learn, easy to memorize. And he does so alongside of the teaching on almsgiving and fasting. Because almsgiving, giving to the poor and needy, fasting, giving up something for a time so that you can refresh yourself in discipline on God's word, and prayer, all three of these are the primary pieces of God's ordained worship. For the Jewish people, Almsgiving and prayer and fasting are the three main things that make up all of the worship that they do. Now, when Jesus puts these three together, and we're focusing on the middle this summer, what he does in all three of these sections on almsgiving and prayer and fasting is says, don't do it like those people. Do it this way. And the negative comparison that he makes for all three are when people do almsgiving and prayer and fasting for attention. As if we were doing this to say, hey, look at me. And so for almsgiving, giving to the poor, we don't do so by saying, well, look at me. I'm being a good person and giving money away. We don't do so with fasting of saying, oh, I'm, I'm so tired from all of the fasting I've been doing because I've been fasting from all of my food I've just been reading my Bible every time you've been eating a meal. Then we're making it about us and not about God. And worship is about what we offer to God. Almsgiving and prayer and fasting are all things done individually and corporately. Just as the Lord's Prayer, Jesus told us to pray this individually, yet if you notice, all of the words are plural. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. All of the elements of worship are done individually and corporately. But their intent and design is for us not to draw attention to ourselves, but to take our attention 
and put it back on God. Almsgiving and prayer and fasting are not about us getting attention for what we do. As Jesus said, truly they have received their reward in full. That's as far as it goes. But all of these are for us to take our attention from all of the things that distract us and get our attention elsewhere, to take all of that and focus it back on God, to put it back where it belongs. And so we can do these things individually and corporately. We think about almsgiving, even as we give offerings corporately. They come from individuals, but we do this practice corporately. And we don't pull out the bill or the check and hold it up high for the person behind us to see what we're putting in and then reach down and put it in. No, we just toss it in as the plates are passed. Because this isn't about us. This is about our worship of God. And in fasting, we don't walk around looking hungry. We do fast. Think of how we do this corporately in Lent. We encourage everyone to give up something, something that can help focus your discipline and worship on God. But we don't do this in a way that, okay, who's fasting? Okay, we need, we need a few more people to give up TV. We need a few more people to give up Facebook. That's not how we do fasting. We find the fast that's right for us. And if things that can take our attention off of ourselves, off of what we like, and put our attention back on God. And prayer is the same way. We pray individually with models like what Jesus gave us, or praying through the Psalms. We also pray corporately, together. But we don't do this to show off. We don't do this for the sake of eloquence. We do this because we're recognizing that all of us have needs that need to be offered to God. We do it individually and corporately. And what a great gift it is that Jesus not only taught us to pray, but gave us the assurance that prayer could be simple. Martin Copenhaver, a pastor, wrote in a memoir book, This Odd and Wondrous Calling. When he was in his college days, he said this, Prayer was not really a part of my life. And if asked to offer a prayer, I would know to start with, Dear God, and end with, Amen. But as for what might go in between... I was largely clueless. Maybe not individually, but maybe so. But have you ever been asked to pray in a group? And you know where to start, dear God. And you know that somewhere you'll, you'll end this with amen. But what goes in the middle? How elaborate does it have to be? How, how do I do this right? I think in many ways Jesus is lowering the anxiety that people might have on prayer and saying, this formula, this Lord's Prayer, this will do it. This will start out with recognizing God and it will end with an amen and we can cover everything in between. But the important thing is that prayer draws your attention back to God. What goes in the middle? Mostly please and thank yous with varying degrees of elaboration. Now, in Luke chapter 11 is the other place in the New Testament where we have the Lord's Prayer recorded. And this time, it comes not in a series of teaching, but in Luke 11, it comes because Jesus was praying, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. 
And so Jesus gave them the Lord's Prayer again. Now, it's a little bit different, so stay tuned, because throughout the summer we'll cover some of the differences between Matthew and Luke. That's the best advertisement that I can give. But in that instance, it came from a simple question and from a desire, a desire to know how to pray. Jesus, by his own example, was praying. And so his disciples, they know too, we need to pray. But Jesus' disciples know that John taught John's disciples how to pray. And so they say, Jesus, teacher, rabbi, John taught his disciples to pray. You need to teach us how to pray. How good it is that we have someone who taught us to pray. First and foremost, Jesus has taught us to pray. But then, for those of us that have memorized the Lord's Prayer at some point in our lives, someone taught that to us. Because we need our parents and our Sunday school teachers and our Kid Connection and children worship helpers and our youth group leaders. We need people to teach us how to pray and to pray for us when we're not sure how or what to put in the middle. We need people to teach us to pray and how good it is that Jesus gave us a model on how to pray and how to teach others to pray. Because prayer is a teaching tool as well. Before the Apostles' Creed existed, the Lord's Prayer existed. The Lord's Prayer is in many ways the original creed because it teaches us what to believe as much as what to say. God knows our needs already. But when we pray the Lord's Prayer, when we pray it attentively, not just a rite of habit, but when we pray it with attention and focus, these words remind us of what Jesus taught us to be true. They also teach us to bring things before God. What we pray is reflective of what we believe. And what we believe is very reflective of what we pray. There's a circular fashion to this. What you believe and how you pray go together. And the best thing that we can do as Christians is to learn from Jesus how to pray. Because if Jesus teaches us how to pray, then Jesus will teach us what to believe, whether from the Lord's Prayer or the Psalms. This is how we learn to pray and how we learn what to believe. The prayer is short. It is simple. It is a beautiful, beautiful combination of please and thank you statements. It seems, though, that Jesus wanted to make sure that prayer wasn't too difficult to catch on to, not something elaborate, not some magical combination of words, but something that people would know something that would have some familiarity to it, and words that would have meaning, deep meaning, attached to them, even if the spoken words were short and simple. That's why the Lord's Prayer, as a composite, is taken from Jewish liturgy, that in Jesus' day, all of the Jews would know these words. These words of the Lord's Prayer would sound like familiar summaries coming from the liturgy that the, that the Jewish people had in worship. Consider hearing 
from the morning prayer. The morning prayer has a verse like this, And bring me not into the hands of sin, or into the hands of transgression, or into the hands of temptation, or into the hands of dishonor, and humble my spirit to submit to thee. That's a little bit wordier. But in a simpler version, it could be so easy as saying, Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Another example. Thou art mighty and strong, and thou livest forever, O Lord. In a simpler way, that could be our Father, who art in heaven. All of the words from the Lord's Prayer were taken from the Jewish liturgy in Jesus' time and brought together for a simple and yet clear way for people to know how to pray. Jesus did his contemporaries a favor in doing this. Because the same is true for us when we have simple words, simple concepts that are attached to something very deep and important. There's deeper resonance that we have with it. To demonstrate that point and to maybe get a sense of how Jesus' followers would feel hearing this prayer for the first time, how we might feel about this, we're going to play a little game. This game is going to involve me saying a word that we hear in worship, or a phrase actually, and if you know the next part of the phrase, I want you to say the next part with me. Sound good? Now we'll see if the few short words that I share are attached to bigger words and longer sentences and more complicated pieces. So, let's give it a whirl, shall we? Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to thee. How great thou art, how great thou art. Amazing grace. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Great is thy faithfulness, God my Father. Up from the grave he arose. You see how this works? A few short words, and right away, you know what they're attached to. And there's verse after verse after verse that those few short words tap into the meaning of. All of the history and thoughts and emotions that you have in those songs, times that you've sung them, the other verses that you love, the phrases that you've meditated on, all of that gets tapped into the moment you hear the first line of the song. I think that's amazing. It's part of how our mind works. And it's the same way that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He took these short, condensed versions of the liturgy of worship that they would know so well. And he put it together in such a way that when they say, Our Father who art in heaven, it's attached to one of the 18 benedictions in Jewish liturgy. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us is attached to all these other pieces of their worship. 
The Lord's Prayer is meant to connect, and it's meant to be a condensed version of all of the other elaborate things that we could say and pray in worship. Authentic prayer acknowledges that God is concerned about our needs, even before we ask him. And in that same way, prayer, we pray recognizing that God already knows, and yet we bring it to the forefront of our minds. Now, there's one danger in studying the Lord's Prayer this summer. I think there's a lot of fun stuff. I think there's a lot of great things about it, but there's one danger. Maybe some of us have been saying the words of the Lord's Prayer for a really, really long time. Now, there's something beautiful about that, especially if you were taught these words early so that they could shape and form you. But consider what can happen when things are so familiar that we can almost glaze right over them. We can say the words of the Lord's Prayer from memory without any meaning or thought at all. That is the danger. And perhaps the best thing we can do is give close attention to the depth behind the words so that when we pray these words, we know full well what we are praying. Author and Christian theologian Frederick Beekner in Listening to Your Life, wrote this about the Lord's Prayer. In the Episcopal order of worship, he's Episcopal, the priest sometimes introduces the Lord's Prayer with the words, Now as our Savior Christ hath taught us, we are bold to say. The word bold is worth thinking about. We do well not to pray the prayer lightly. It takes guts to pray it at all. We can pray it in the unthinking and perfunctory way we usually do, only by disregarding what we are saying. Now, North Holland, consider that for a moment. Consider that when we pray the Lord's Prayer in what Beekner calls this unthinking and perfunctory way, all we're doing then is not paying attention to the words that we're saying. He continues with an example. Thy will be done is what we are saying. That's the climax of the first half of the prayer. And we are asking God to be God. We're asking God to do not what we want, but what God wants. We're asking God to make manifest the holiness that is now mostly hidden, to set free in all its terrible splendor the devastating power that is now mostly under restraint. North Holland, consider, thy will be done. If we pray those words to the Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, if we pray those words and we mean them, our lives would not stay the same. Thy will be done in my life. It would be naive to think that God's will being done in our life would mean that we would not change or that we would stay exactly the same. Thy kingdom come on earth is what we are saying, continues Beekner. And if that were suddenly to happen, what then? What would stand and what would fall? Who would be welcomed in and who would be thrown the hell out? Which, which, if any, of our most precious visions of what God is and of what human beings are would prove to be more or less on the mark and which would turn out to be phony as $3 bills? Boldness, indeed, to speak these words is to invite the tiger out of the cage to unleash a power that makes atomic power Look like a warm breeze. Thy kingdom come on earth. Friends, consider that 
our world is not as old as it should be. We know this to be true. But to pray, thy kingdom come on earth as it is on heaven, is to invite a very different version, a very different vision of what the world looks like. We pray bold things to God when we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Those terms are loaded. Beekner concludes this way. You need to be bold in another way to speak the second half. Give us. Forgive us. Don't test us. Deliver us. If it takes guts to face the omnipotence that is God's, it takes perhaps no less to face the impotence that is ours. We can do nothing without God, because without God, we are nothing. It is only the words, Our Father, that makes the prayer bearable. If God is indeed something like a father, then as something like children, maybe we can risk approaching him anyway. Let's pray. God, thank you for being who you are in all of your fullness and majesty and splendor. God, thank you for giving us these words to pray, words that have meaning and strength and power. If only we take a moment to think about what we believe and say when we pray them. Lord, thank you for making prayer something so simple that all we have to say to you is, please, God, or thank you, Jesus, and you know what we mean. Lord, thank you for teaching us how to pray. May it also shape in us what we believe. And so we join together now with thought and intentionality on what we are saying as we do pray those words that we are bold to say. Our Father, who art in heaven, Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.